how he dealt with Crohn's disease throughout college, the three steps to overcoming trauma, how to avoid attracting people that you actually don't want to date, and how to ensure that you don't sabotage good relationships coming right up. This is episode number 271 with public speaker and personal coach, Kevin Nahai. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm here because you want to become the best version of yourself, but there are so many things that you need to do in order to get there. And because it's overwhelmingly complicated, it's easy to lose focus, easy to lose a sense of direction, which is why so many people fall short of their true potential. But that's why I create videos, podcasts, and fitness programs to keep you on track to your best you. Go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. Today, I'm really excited to bring you a very unique interview with Kevin Nahai. Kevin is a 28-year-old motivational speaker and personal coach from Los Angeles, California. When Kevin was 19, he was suddenly diagnosed with a chronic disease of the stomach that caused him to be unable to eat. He fell into a deep depression, became severely anorexic, and nearly took his own life. He spent most of his 20s suffering through crippling anxiety, toxic relationships, and breakups, and a complete lack of confidence and direction. But after several years of deep introspection, therapy, and meditation, Kevin was literally able to transform his life and become a public speaker and personal coach. His mission is to provide his clients and audiences with the proven, practical, actionable tools and solutions that he used every single day to create a life that he loves. My favorite part of the interview is when we start talking about relationships in particular, like why people actually attract people that they don't wanna date and how to avoid that, and also how a lot of people sabotage good relationships that they're in and how to make sure you avoid that as well. Before diving into the episode, make sure that you're following me on Instagram at carrier underscore best you and follow Kevin at Kevin Nahai. It's K-E-V-I-N-N-A-H-A-I. And you can find everything in the show notes at nickcarrier.com slash podcast. But without further ado, here's to getting closer to your best you with the one and only Kevin Nahai. All right, what's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's uh, Best You Podcast. I'm super fired up today to have the one and only Kevin Nahai with me today, uh, joining me from Los Angeles, California. Kevin, I just want to say uh, thanks so much for spending the time with me this morning. Thank you for having me on, Nick. I'm very excited, and it's a pleasure to, to meet you and speak with you. Yeah, no doubt, man. I, I got really excited when I was going through a lot of your Instagram videos, a lot of your YouTube videos, um, a lot of your content, and getting prepped for the interview, so I know we're gonna have an awesome conversation. But to introduce you just real quick, uh, uh, real quickly, Kevin is a motivational speaker. Um, back when COVID was kind of uh, not a thing, but now you do online seminars like we talked about before hopping on. You're a personal coach. Um, and your, your story is just super fascinating because back when you were 19, kind of in the first semester of college, you were diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune disease of the stomach, which I understand um, kind of made you unable to eat and, and keep food down. and you lost about 60 pounds or so. You fell into a deep depression, contemplated suicide. You were in kind of an excruciating pain for a decent amount of the time. And to kind of give everybody a, a frame of reference as to kind of how small you got, you were 5'8", about 112 pounds. So that's pretty crazy, I know, for me to hear being a fitness trainer and knowing kind of what people's weights are for, for how tall they are and how big they are and that sort of thing. So one, one of the things that I was kind of intrigued about in regards to the story is how did this autoimmune 
disease or the diagnosis kind of come about? Did you have gradual symptoms leading up to one point or was it just like all of a sudden you felt like terrible or how did it all of a sudden come about where you're like, something is wrong, I need to go see somebody and then the diagnosis came? Sure, so, um, well, I got hit with all of these terrible symptoms all at once, one day, uh, September 23rd. It was a Saturday, if I remember correctly. Um, it was all the way back in 2011. Um, so my, my memory may be failing me, but all of a sudden on this day, and I remember the date, I started having internal bleeding in my stomach and uh, I was in excruciating pain and I couldn't stop going to the bathroom. And, you know, I, it, it was just like, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, and, you know, the thing about autoimmune disorders, whether it's uh, Crohn's or ulcer ulcerative colitis or multiple sclerosis, uh, fibromyalgia, and also the thing about certain types of cancers is that they are lifestyle induced, meaning they are brought on by stress, they're brought on by trauma, they're brought on by emotional issues that are brewing below the surface um, that you haven't worked out. And so I, you know, this disease hit me all at once and I was really confused at the time. I was like, what the hell is going on? But what I didn't understand at the time is that I had years of trauma and years of emotional issues and psychological issues that I had not worked through from high school and middle school and, you know, childhood and things like that. And all of a sudden those things kind of, it all sort of hit me at once. And I got this diagnosis and, um, you know, when you go to a doctor, Nick, the, the first thing they'll ask you is they'll ask you about your diet. They'll ask you what medications that you're taking. They'll ask you, you know, what, what your symptoms are, so forth and so on. But the last thing that most doctors will ask you is, well, how stressed out are you? Or what are your problems? Or what are the things you've been through in the last several years? And my philosophy, you know, I believe in Western medicine to a large extent. I also believe in some Eastern medicine practices. But one thing I've learned from this whole battle with this disease and then being anorexic and being suicidal and, you know, all of these issues is that when you have a physical ailment, when you have some sort of physical uh, issue, whether that's getting a cold or a flu or an autoimmune disease or whatever, it's, it's your body telling you no, and it's your body telling you that there is something internal that's wrong. You know, something emotionally, you, were, you had an issue, you were stressed, you've got something that you need to work through from a psychological perspective. Not all the time. Sometimes you can just walk through the street and catch COVID, of course, you know, yeah. but talking about the serious things, the serious physical ailments are usually the result of some sort of psychological ailment, at least, you know, in my experience. Yeah, no, and I think, I think more and more people, maybe functional medicine doctors, holistic doctors are, are realizing that and are starting to help people more from the preventative side, just more so than just like, okay, what happened? How can we treat the symptoms kind of a thing, which is, which is awesome. So to kind of stay on that, like you said, it, it was kind of years and years maybe of trauma and different emotional things that kind of built up and pent up to this one terrible day in September in 2011. Um, but is there anything that you feel like you could have started to do to prevent this volcano from erupting, if you will, on that Saturday in 2011, any kind of habits you could have 
maybe started to form? Yes and no. Um, yes, from yes, 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 from the the standpoint of had I known what my issues were, and had I known that there was all kinds of stuff brewing below the surface that I needed to work through, then absolutely there were better habits that I could have formed without a doubt. You know, could have been exercising more, could have been eating better, could have been in therapy, could have learned how to meditate, you know, could have taken 10,001 steps to address whatever the issues were that I had in childhood, you know, and they weren't like huge issues. I didn't get beaten up or anything by my dad, you know, God forbid, but we all have little things that happen to us when we're kids. And, you know, if we don't find some sort of way to work through them, then they show up in our adult life. So yes, to the extent that if I had known what was going on, there, there are always better habits that we can adopt to um, improve the emotional and therefore physical condition of our lives. But no, to the extent that this was my wake up call. Yeah. Like I didn't know that I had all of these issues. I was always a very anxious person and I was always a very worried person. And I always had a lot of emotional issues. Sorry. That's my dog going. It's crazy. all good. It's all good. <laughs> um, but this, this was my wake up call. This was my body's way of hitting me across the face and saying, Hey dude, like you got to take your ass to therapy and you got to, you know, work through this stuff. Unfortunately, I suffered from these diseases and all these problems for another like four to five years before I actually figured it out. Um, I didn't really start transforming my life until four or five years after the initial diagnosis. Um, but, you know, this, well, this was. Uh, yeah, well, I, I'm I'm kind of uh, to I'm kind of a uh, curious then because it sounds like the awareness of the issue is a huge, huge step. And maybe you didn't, you didn't get to the point of awareness until maybe the, the four or five years later that if I understand that correctly. So for somebody who to prevent, to try to prevent them from, you know, it's probably what you do with a lot of your work to try to prevent somebody from four or five years down the road, having that volcano erupt or having all that bent up, that pent up uh, emotional trauma from having that experience. Like what is your, coaching philosophy in regards to start to recognize small little symptoms here like how can you how can we start to recognize small little symptoms and how can we try to peel the onion back to try to discover the the root cause of maybe that small little symptom and try to become more aware of what my small little issues and traumas might be sure so i mean one thing that i preach is the three a's awareness acceptance and action and Essentially, what it means is that the first step is you got to become aware of what your emotional roadblocks are, um, which I'll talk about in a second. The second step is that you have to accept them and you have to accept responsibility for them. You can't deny them. You can't pretend they're magically going to go away by themselves. And you can't pretend that they're somebody else's fault. You know, whether or not they were caused by someone else, you are in the driver's seat now and it's your responsibility to accept what what your life is and fix it. And that leads me to the third A, which is action, which is you actually have to take action and change it, right? If you can, if you can follow these steps, awareness, acceptance, and action, then there's virtually nothing in your life that you cannot fix or change or overcome. However, my coaching philosophy, first and foremost, is that 98% of the things we try to do by ourselves, we are destined to fail at. 
98% of the things that we tried to do under the mentorship or with the help of a professional or the help of somebody who has been through, who has been down that path, you're destined to succeed at. You know, when you're sick with the measles or chicken pox or whatever, you go to a specialist, right? Because that guy knows how to treat it. If you've got some kind of a sports injury, you go to a physical therapist because that person knows how to treat it. But when it comes to therapy and coaching and counseling or whatever, we have this idea uh, that like, oh, no, I'm just going to figure it out by myself. And what I always say is, if you were drowning in the ocean and I threw you a life jacket, right, would you throw it behind your head into the storm and say, no, I'm going to do this one on my own? No, you would take the life jacket. You would take the assistance, you know. So with the awareness piece, it's extremely difficult to become aware of the symptoms, as you said, yeah. of the things that are going wrong in your life. It's extremely difficult to become aware of why those things are happening by yourself. You need somebody to come into your life and hold up a mirror to you and say, I see you objectively, right? Now let me hold up this magic mirror that's gonna show you things that you haven't seen objectively. And I'm a classic case. I was that guy. I had all kinds of symptoms and all kinds of issues that I did not recognize because I didn't have anybody in my corner, you know? But even now that I make my living coaching and helping other people, I still have a coach that I work with, you know, so that that person can make me better every day and hold up the mirror to me. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think that's, I think that's so key. I think like you said, 98% of the things you try to do on your own or you're going to likely fail at um, without having the assistance or the guidance of somebody else in a professional in particular. Um, so you kind of dove a little bit into the awareness piece and what that tangibly and, and practically looks like in your coaching. I kind of want to jump to the the acceptance piece because I really like what you said in regards to you have to accept it and you have to take responsibility for it. You don't have to take one of the things that I, I kind of talk about is you don't, it's not culpability. There's a difference between culpability and responsibility. Yeah, it's not your fault, but you still have to like take responsibility and, and now take ownership of trying to do something about it. And so what does that look like in regards to having the conversation with maybe your client around like, look, this is not your fault, but we got to accept it. Is it, is that a process that takes a little bit of time for them to be able to take acceptance of that and take responsibility for it before taking action? Or is that relatively quick sometimes? Sometimes it's quick. Um, if it's a person who's particularly goal oriented and a person who understands the concept of personal responsibility but that's not something that we're taught in school, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. So for most people, it takes a long time to get them to understand. And I, you know, I preach the exact same thing that you preach, which is that personal responsibility is not necessarily personal culpability. It's not doesn't mean that you're it's your fault or you have to you know be ashamed or whatever. Especially because some sometimes things happen to happen to us in our lives that we have nothing to do with. If you're like walking down the street and you get hit by a bus, that's not your fault. You didn't ask for it. Or, you know, if, if you're really great to your girlfriend and she cheats on you, which happened to me, right? I didn't ask for that. I, I didn't try to create that, right? So it, it's not about culpability. The fact is that if I get hit by a bus or if I get cheated on my girlfriend, neither the bus driver nor the girlfriend is going to clean up that mess for me. Yeah. So that's what I have to, that's where I have to massage people into understanding. It's like, I have so much compassion for where you are in your life and how you got here. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes we make dumbass mistakes that are our fault and we, there is no way around it. 
I can't sugarcoat that for you, you know, but the other things that have happened to you in your life that are not your fault. The fact is that right now they're your responsibility because no one else is going to fix it for you. You are going to have to clean it up. And I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry to my younger self that I got diagnosed with this disease that I didn't ask for. I'm sorry to you that whatever happened to you in your childhood that messed you up, you didn't ask for. But the fact is that you can either stay in that stagnant state where you don't move forward and you feel depressed and you feel a total loss of control and power because of unfortunate things that happened to you in your life, or you can accept them and accept the responsibility and accept the fact that now it's up to you to change it and then actually turn it around and move it forward. Um, yeah, yeah I, lo- I love that metaphor of, well, go ahead, go ahead. One, one, one other thing I, I will add though, is that right now we're talking about things that are, that you're, are not your fault. 80% of the time, things are our fault. Like 80% of the time we are the product, not of our circumstances, but of our decisions. 80% of the time, the things that we have to take personal responsibility for are actually things that we created. And that's a tough pill to swallow, but I find it to be incredibly empowering because if it means that if you made the decisions that landed you where you are now, good, bad, or otherwise, you get to make decisions that are going to land you where you want to be in a year or five years. Yeah. No, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, agree with you more. I couldn't be on more of the same wavelength as, uh, as you on this point. Um, I really liked before, like the metaphor of if a bus driver hits you, uh, or if your girlfriend cheats on you, yeah, I'm sorry that happened, but they're not going to clean up the mess for you. You have to be the one to clean up the mess for yourself. And then, yeah, I, like you said, 80% of the things maybe that do happen to us, we have some sort of, uh, we can accept some sort of blame for. And I think that's the whole idea of like having this internal locus of control, believing that we have the power kind of to determine the outcomes of our life. Because like you said, if, if we have that feeling, then it's like, okay, yeah, crap, like I did something wrong to get me here, but I also can do something to make sure uh, I'm out of here as well. So I think that is absolutely awesome. But to kind of shift gears a little bit, one of the things that I was really intrigued kind of going through your story and what I mentioned earlier is you were 19 when this diagnosis came about and you were in the first semester of college. And I know everybody's college experience was a little bit different. I had an awesome college experience and the first semester of college for me was a ton of fun. So kind of talk a little bit about what it was like. Like, I don't know if you were looking forward to your college experience or what that was like for you, but like first semester of college is supposed to be like for a lot of people, kind of an exciting time. You meet new people, try out new experiences. So what was it like having this terrible thing happen at that particular point in time? I mean, my first semester of college was absolutely, without a doubt, the worst time of my life. Um, and I, I don't say this to be all like, woe is me, like, oh my God, you know, feel bad for me. But of all of the lows I've ever had in my life, that was the worst one. My first semester of college is when I got diagnosed. It's when my anorexia started and I started starving myself. It's when I got... Uh, I fell into a deep depression for the first time. Like we're talking about, I would spend entire Saturdays in bed, you know, not even leaving other than to, if I had to go to the library or, you know, go to work or something like that. Sometimes I would, I would have work, but sometimes I would skip work. I would, I would 
completely skip my job and make up an excuse because I was too depressed to leave. Jeez. You know, um, I also, at the same time that I got depression, I started getting panic attacks. So I had to see a psychiatrist and like get some meds for the first time. And, you know, my family didn't even know about it because I was too afraid to tell them. Um, so I was paying for this psychiatrist, like $400 a session because I didn't want it to go on my insurance, but I needed the medication from when I was having panic attacks. <laughs> Jeez, and, dude. Um, yeah. And at the very end of the first semester, I, I almost, uh, I almost attempted suicide. So it, the, the hardest thing was, I mean, all of that is, is really hard, but the hardest thing was being in a situation where it's my first semester in college. I'm going through all of these excruciating physical and emotional issues. And yet every single person around me is having fun, meeting girls, making friends, going to class, exploring the campus, figuring out when they're going to study abroad. And I am completely alone. People don't want to be friends with me because I look like death. Girls don't want to get anywhere near me, you know, because I've got all of these issues. I'm a complete hermit. I'm trying to make friends, but I can't because I'm not myself, you know, and I'm not the usual very like positive, bubbly, jovial guy that I am because I'm depressed as hell. And the, 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 the most difficult part of this whole thing was the isolation, just how isolating it is to be. It's one thing if you're depressed at home alone. It's another thing if you're depressed or going through a really hard time in an environment where everybody is telling you there's something wrong with you because no one's in that boat. You know, like you said, your first semester of college, you were partying and having the time of your life. That's what everyone should be doing. Right. But not for me. So the hardest part was just like how isolating it felt. And um, I mean, in a way I'm grateful for that experience because if I hadn't gone through that first couple of years of hell at college, I definitely would not, I wouldn't have the story I have. I wouldn't be able to coach people the way I can, you know, that was my cross to bear and I still pay for it. You know, I, I still have lingering issues from that time in my life. Um, but that was my cross to bear and every man has one, you know, and, um, and, uh, it's above all, I'm just so, so, so incredibly grateful that my life now is happy and healthy and full of joy and fulfillment and peace of mind. And like, man, I think back to that time in my life and I don't know how I got through it. I don't. Yeah, yeah man, that's, that's crazy. Um, like I, Sorry you had to go through that. Um, to, um, but like you said, you were, so you were diagnosed at 19 and you know had this terrible time of your life. But like you said, you didn't really feel like you started to turn the corner for maybe about another four to five years. So it's a four to five year time period. So it's, there's a lot that went on. But give us a little bit of an overview of that time period. Like what, what did, did you stay in college? What were the first initial steps that you kind of tried to do to try to get over the hump, what kind of worked, what didn't work, that kind of thing during that time period. We're gonna take a brief pause in the interview really quickly because if you're somebody who is looking to achieve a fitness goal or maybe you lack motivation to get into the gym, you lack some structure in your in your weekly 
routine or maybe you've been wanting to get back into the fitness game and get back to maybe your weight loss goal or whatever goal it is and you're not really quite sure how. If that sounds like you, my 10 week program is for you because I help everybody set a very specific goal. Then we create a very specific strategy of the two or the three things that we need to do every single week that we believe are gonna make us successful with our overall goal. And that'll help you execute and I'll help you hold you accountable every single week. So you do the things that you kind of know you should be doing, but you're, you're not quite doing them right now. And that's what I've done with hundreds of people over the past 365 days, over the past a little over a year. And I want you to make sure that you are part of it as well. And enough for me, I want you to hear from the people who have done it in the past, what they've got out of it and, and why they did it in the first place. So here you go. I cannot say enough good things about Nick's 10 week program. I have always been somebody who has worked out but never really had a fitness goal. If anything, I really wanted to achieve. It was more so just to stay in shape. And Nick does a great job of helping you not only define the goal, but also realize what steps you need to take to get there. Tomorrow, as of my weigh-in week nine, I hit my goal of losing 25 pounds in 10 weeks. Just the whole methodology of the program with it being one big goal, followed by some smaller goals to help me reach that big goal and then the weekly commitments to help me reach those smaller goals. During these times, it's helped strengthen my mental health and strengthen my focus and really made sure to hold me accountable to my goals. I'm so happy that I was able to hit the goal and uh, so much so that I decided to do another 10 weeks with Nick. I would recommend it to anybody, no matter what your goals are, if it's weight loss, if it's running a shorter mile, if it's anything you would like to achieve, I think that this program gives you the tools to set yourself up for success. But one of the biggest benefits for me, and the biggest takeaway I had was one I wasn't necessarily set out to improve upon, and that was building more self-confidence and really instilling self-accountability. The program was great. Um, I'm doing it again a second time to continue my weight loss, and just can't recommend it enough. So again, guys, if you lack motivation, if you lack structure, if you want to get back into your fitness game, but you're not really sure how, then I want you to make sure you go to nickcarrier.com slash 10-week programs. Again, nickcarrier.com slash 10-week programs to learn more. For now, let's get back to the interview. Yeah, so there were, there were a series of pivotal moments. Um, one of the pivotal moments was the night after I almost attempted suicide. When I, sorry, the day after, when I realized that I, I actually didn't want to, you know, and, and that I needed to fix this, you know, why did you, why did you, why, what was the, why was the, why did you say I realized I didn't want to? Because that night that I almost did, I thought of somebody in my life, my little cousin, who is very important to me. And I've sort of been there for her through difficult things of, in her life. And she and I were very close at the time. And Basically, I think God dropped this aha moment in my head that made me think, if I kill myself right now, then what's going to happen to Sydney? You know, she, I will not be here for her tomorrow. And in a way, you know, she, she saved my life because my, my closeness with her, I don't know why I didn't think about my mom. I don't know why I don't, I didn't think about my brother or sister or my best friend or whatever. But, you know, when you're that low, you really think that if you are not here the next day, it won't matter. And it's hard for people who haven't been through that to, to understand it, you know? Um, but it's a very crazy thing. 
it's it's very crazy to to actually not to be so depressing but you know to actually think that if you don't wake up tomorrow the world will go on without you you know and the world will go on without you but many many people will their lives will be ruined if they lose a family member you know but you just don't think that it matters um mm-hmm. but i guess in in that moment you know, my, my life was saved by the realization that there's at least one person who I knew it would matter to. There were many people that it would matter to, but I just thought of one. So that was a, a that was a pivotal turning point for me. Uh, it wasn't a magical transformation. It didn't take away my depression and it didn't take away my suicidal ideation. You know, like for a couple of months after that, I still went back and forth. I was still still had these really, really low moments where I thought maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, blah, blah, blah. But that was a turning point. Um, you know, another, another turning point was um, in my sophomore year, I started seeing a nutrition therapist because as I said, throughout all of this, I was severely anorexic. So I started seeing a nutrition therapist to help me with the anorexia and, and she helped me sort of get over the initial you know, the, the acute stage of the eating disorder, um, that helped me a lot in my junior year. When I was 21, I was able to gain back a little bit of weight and my Crohn's disease got a little bit better. And I got a girlfriend, God bless her, who stuck with me during that time. And, you know, I had all of those issues and she was by my side. So, you know, it was the first, she was my first love and the, the first woman that was ever, you know, I, I ever had a good, healthy relationship with. Of course, after that, after my relationship with her, I hadn't fixed all of my relationship issues with women. So then I had started having a series of really toxic, messed up relationships after that good one. So um, then, you know, it's like every time you you get a little bit better in your life, Nick, God will slap you with another challenge to see, (laughs) to test you, you know, to see if it's going to knock you down or if you're going to be able to level up, you know? So it's like, I, I, I started working through the anorexia and I actually got a girlfriend and then that was great. But then boom, as soon, as soon as that ended, I realized I had all sorts of relationship issues, you know, and then, then I had to fix those and turn those around. So um, I'm going on a tangent here, but most of my practice now, is actually working with men and women on, on dating and relationship issues. Um, because sometimes the most painful thing in our lives is not the physical issues that we have or even the trauma that we have or whatever. Sometimes the most painful thing in our life is an issue we've got a boy, with a boy or a girl that we really like, you know, yeah. or some kind of relationship problem. That, that will destroy your life more than anything. So like you said, you had that good... Re- you know, a pretty good relationship with that girl in college and then had maybe a few toxic relationships after that. Was there a particular relationship or particular relationship moment that you feel like you learned the most from? Absolutely. Absolutely. There was one girl I only dated for four months, but it was probably like the worst four months of my life. It was an extremely toxic relationship. That's the girl who cheated on me. Um, and I, I think she had a problem with drinking. I can't say for sure because, you know, I'm not an addiction specialist, but I don't drink alcohol. So that caused all kinds of issues and we were fighting all the time and so forth and so on. And here's the thing. I could sit here and tell you 
all of the things that were wrong with that woman and all of the things that were wrong with that relationship and, you know, oh my God, I got cheated on and I was so heartbroken and blah, blah, blah. But the fact is that in that relationship, I was also a terrible version of myself. When you are in a relationship with somebody who is no good for you, you become no good, right? Because you have to be no good to attract someone who's no good. You know what I'm saying? If you're in a relationship with somebody who's no good, you are not the best version of yourself. You are not the best you as you know, your, your podcast is called. When I'm the best me, I'm not gonna attract a relationship that's really unhealthy and toxic. So in the spirit of taking personal responsibility, although that relationship crushed my soul and was so toxic and the girl was really awful to me in many ways, in the spirit of taking personal responsibility, I look back at that relationship and I realize that at that time in my life, I had a temper, I was codependent, I kept arguing with her over little things that probably don't matter in the long run, and I did X, Y, and Z things wrong, that now I would never in a million years dream of doing with a woman or with a relationship. Don't get me wrong. I never hit her. I didn't call her names. You know, I didn't do anything that terrible, but I was not the best version of myself because I was in a very unhealthy relationship. And you have to look at those relationships and you have to say, I chose that. No one put a gun to my head and said, you got to date this super messed up person. I chose that. Did I know I was choosing that? No, but these decisions are not conscious. They're subconscious. And if there are things that are wrong with you subconsciously, if there are things subconsciously that need to be fixed, you will figure that out in the form of an unhealthy relationship. That's your wake up call. You know, you get an unhealthy partner and an unhappy relationship. And that is the world telling you, hey, yo, wake up, dude. You attracted this unhealthy relationship because there are parts of you that still need to be mended. Right. Yeah. So that's how I figured it out. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome stuff. And I love, I love how you identify those the kind of the things that you could accept and and then uh, take responsibility for and, and start to take action to change. So, like you said, a lot of your clients now are about our relationship issue um, oriented people in kind of their 20s and 30s what is I'm trying to think of about the best way to kind of get the most valuable content out of this question um, what's maybe like the biggest question or biggest issue that you're presented with through those clients like what's the biggest thing that they come to you with like asking like why is this my relationship not working kind of a thing mm. Like, are you asking what's the most common issue that my clients have? Yeah, I think so. Um, the specifics of everyone's situation is pretty different, the details, but there are several overarching themes. One of those themes is that they keep attracting people that they don't actually want to date. Mm. Like every person who asks them out, they're like not into, or every date that they go on, is not actually what they want. So, and and we can go into detail into any one of these themes. I'll just throw them out there for you. Okay. So, so that's the first one is people come to me and they say, I hate dating because every single person I date is like not what I want. And believe me, I've been there. So I kind of, 
I want to stick on that one just real quick then um, before maybe you go to the next one. So you said that people attract people that they don't want to date. So how can, what do you do to coach them in order to attract people that they actually want to date? Okay, great question. So the first thing is I explain why that's happening. There are two reasons that that's happening. The first reason is that we are extremely focused on what we don't want. I don't want someone who's an asshole. I don't want mm-hmm. someone who has slept with a hundred people. I don't want someone who is, you know, uh, all she does is work and has no time for me, blah, blah, blah. I don't want someone who has this personality trait, blah, blah, blah. All we think about is what we don't want, but your mental attention and your focus is like water for a plant. Wherever you put your mental attention is what's going to grow. So if you're constantly focused on what you don't want, that will grow. That's what you will get. Instead, if you constantly switch your focus to what you want, forget about all the things you don't want. They're irrelevant because you don't want them. Switch your focus to what it is that you want and get really, really clear on what it is that you want. And that's where you put your mental attention and energy. Then you start seeing more and more of that. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. But that's what gets ingrained in your subconscious. And then that's what you start creating in your reality. So that's the first thing. But there's there's a deeper reason why this happens. The deeper reason why this happens is that if you keep getting in your life what you don't want or what you see as unattractive or, or undesirable to you, in my view, you have not yet become the person that your ideal partner would choose. So the way that I coach people through this is I say, let's make a list of everything you want in a partner. Then let's look at this list of this perfect person on paper, this amazing partner on paper. And let's honestly ask ourselves, would this guy or girl choose you given where you are in your life, your flaws, your issues, and your great characteristics? And the answer 99 out of 100 times is no, because you still have some leveling up to do. Now, this is not a bad thing. This is not denigrating. It's not demeaning. It's not like, oh, this person would never choose you, right? It's not at all like that. It is, you can have anyone that you want virtually, but you have to level up to that level. If you want someone who's incredibly kind and giving and caring and affectionate, do you possess those characteristics, right? And is that the way that you're living your life? If you want someone who has good traditional family values, just for example, are you living good traditional family values or are you going out to the frat and getting you know wasted and sleeping with random girls all the time, right? So you see how our, inc- our, our actions are often incongruous with the things that we want. But you can't ask for things that you want if you're not living your life that way already. And it took me years to learn this lesson. I was so incredibly frustrated that I did the first half of the work, which was I stopped focusing on what I didn't want. And I started focusing on what I wanted, but then I wasn't getting it. And I was like, God damn it, why aren't I getting this? And it's because the way that I was living my life was incongruous with what I was asking for. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. 
I had a very clear idea of what I wanted. And, and it was fair of me to ask for those things. We're all entitled to ask for what we want. But not if that's not the way you're living. You just won't get it. You know, it's kind of like saying, I want to be Kobe Bryant, but I don't want to go to practice seven days a week. Yeah. That no, motherfucker is more than all of us combined, <laughs> you know, and that's how he became the champion. So yeah. it's, it's the same thing in relationships, man. You can get whatever you want, but you, you got to be willing to embody it and work for it and live it. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's so powerful and just like a universal truth in all areas of life. Like you said, like, it's like people thinking they want to be Kobe Bryant, but they're not willing to put in the work. It's like someone in fitness wanted to say, I want to be a hundred, what I want to be this weight, but they're not willing to actually eat the right food and, and put in the right kind of exercise and, and do all that kind of thing. You have to embody the type of person that you want to become before you kind of become it or before you attract that person that you desire, if you will, it sounds like. A hundred percent. I mean, they say that opposites attract and I think that sometimes opposites attract in terms of personality traits. Like if I'm super outgoing, I might attract a girl who is shy, right? Because our, our personalities will complement each other. But opposites never attract in terms of values and in terms of where you are in your life. If you're at a level three in your life, you're not going to attract a level 10 successful person. Right. And if you're at a level 10 in your life, chances are you're not going to choose a person who's a level three, right? It's like when I was talking about my relationship earlier, I'm looking at this girl saying, oh my God, this girl is so mess messed up in so many ways, but I chose her, right? So aren't I messed up in several ways? Now, it's not an exact comparison. It's not like we have the exact same problems, right? But if you want this incredible person, if you want to attract this incredible relationship, you have to go home and ask yourself, before I figure out what type of person I want to be with, let me ask myself what type of person I want to be. Yeah. Then yeah. let me become that person. And then the world is my oyster. Yeah. You know, yeah. as long as you are actively working towards being the ideal version of yourself or the version of yourself that your ideal partner would choose, then the sky is the limit. I've seen people who have the most messed up pasts and have made mistake upon mistake end up in the most incredible relationships with the most incredible people because they truly leveled up. They truly became the person that that ideal partner would choose and they became the ideal version of themselves that they decided they want to be. You know, it takes a long time and it takes a lot of hard work, but it is totally possible. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. That, that's powerful stuff. I love that one. And I think uh, I, I want to get uh, one more thing out of you before I get down to the last questions, because uh, this stuff is freaking awesome. And I, I know people are going to are going to eat it up. You said how there's kind of a few different things maybe you go through with people and, and the relationship questions and, and popular issues that people have. And I think the first one was the people attract people that they don't want to date. I don't know if there was a, like another few that you wanted to have, but I wanted to dive into maybe one more before I got into the last couple questions. Yeah, yeah, of course. So that, that, that is a, that's a big one. And by the way, everything that I just explained, I walk people through it step by step. Like I'm explaining a concept right now, but there's a lot of mechanics to that concept. Like people might say, okay, well, I get that. Well, how do I actually change it? Right. right. What do I do like step by step? That's what I do with people is I, I actually walk them through it. Yeah. Just love it. people aren't confused. Um, another 
another major issue that that people have is that they sabotage good relationships or good dates, right? They have something good in front of them that they either look back on it and realize that they sabotaged it, or they have something good in front of them right now and they're trying to pass up on it or they're trying to find fault with it or they're trying to um, find out, like figure out some reason why it's not gonna work, right? And that's a classic case of self-sabotage. We sabotage ourselves when something good is happening, usually for a couple of reasons. One is because it's unfamiliar. Usually we are suckers for familiarity in the, in, in, no matter how bad it is. If we are used to something being bad over and over again, then when something good comes along, it's unfamiliar for us and it freaks us out and we're like, uh, what do I do with this, right? So we sabotage it, we mess it up somehow. The second reason that we tend to sabotage things is that we don't think we deserve it. So somebody really good comes along and we think, well, I've never had somebody good before. Um, so subconsciously, clearly this isn't you know, right for me. So what I need to do is I need to sabotage this in order to prove to myself that I don't deserve it. And then the next time somebody good comes around, then I'll sabotage my progress because I don't believe I deserve it. So in your line of work, if you have a client who you put them on a strict diet and they stick to it for two weeks, and then you know they start eating pizza and chocolate and ice cream and whatever, right? It's probably not because they're just lazy. It's probably because deep down, they don't have the belief that they actually deserve this result. Yeah. What happens if they are in shape? Well, that's kind of scary if you've been fat your whole life. You know, what happens if you do have a great healthy relationship? That's kind of scary if you've only had unhealthy dysfunctional ones your whole life. So that's another thing I work with people, work on with people a lot is self-sabotage and helping them understand when they have a good thing going and teaching them how to keep that good thing going. You know, we sabotage our relationships in all kinds of ways, whether it's innocuous, like communicating poorly or it's extreme like cheating and anything in between right there's a whole range of ways in which we can sabotage our relationships and usually we don't intend to self-sabotage is subconscious it's not a conscious choice usually yeah no dude i think that's really good one of like the biggest principles and just behavioral change in general is making a shift in identity seeing yourself as a different kind of person so like for to stay on the fitness one because we're both familiar with that and because it's an easy one for everyone to understand like in order to like if you're somebody who really needs to lose weight you kind of have to see yourself as the type of person who weighs the weight that you want to weigh like you have to see yourself as that type of person you have to drop the current identity of like I'm this person who's always over, overweight. I'm the person who doesn't prioritize exercise. I'm, I'm the type of person who doesn't prioritize what I eat. You have to change the identity that I am the type of person who works out. I am the type of person who is going to eat healthy. Because like you said, it's a if you subconsciously self-sabotage and you start to do things to sabotage your good relationships, it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're like, see, I knew I didn't deserve it. I knew I didn't deserve this person. And it's just a, a never-ending you have to change the identity and you have to change the narrative in your own head when it comes to dating or your body or, you know, whatever the, the issue is. You've been giving yourself a narrative for so long about yourself, which is like, 
I always attract the wrong people or I don't deserve to be in a good relationship or everybody that I date is an asshole or whatever. You've been telling yourself some kind of narrative. And when I start working with clients who are single, whether male or female, I make them go on a temporary dating hiatus, right? I say for the next month or two months, there's no Bumble, no Hinge, no dates, no anything, right? And why do I make them take that time? It's because in that time, we are reshaping the way that they see themselves. Mm -hmm. We are changing the narrative, right? From I'm this person who has all these problems in my dating and relationships to this is the person that I want to be. This is the successful relationship that I want to have. This is where I'm going. And I start to massage them and change their subconscious beliefs so that they believe that they are worthy and that they're deserving and that they can actually be on that path, right? First, you have to change that identity. First, you have to change the way that you see yourself. And that will change the way that other people see you. That will change the types of partners that you attract. And that will change your patterns in dating, breaking your old habits, the way that you communicate, so forth and so on. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. I like that exercise that you make people kind of you know, get off of that stuff for a few months. I think that's, I think that's really powerful. Um, well, before I ask the last question here, um, Kevin, I want to acknowledge you for your ability to work through the terrible situation that you had been unfortunately presented with back when you were 19 years old and for you to be able, be able to have some of those pivotal moments over the four or five year kind of recovery period, um, for you to be able to kind of see those as pivotal points, um, is so big. And for you to be able to have your, your little cousin, um, Stephanie? Sydney. Sydney. I knew it was an S. I knew it was an S. Um, for her to be able to uh, save you, I think that's powerful. And for you to be able to now give this gift back to other people who are definitely going through um, probably some significant issues themselves, I think it's, it's really cool. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Of course. Of course. So I know everyone's going to want to uh, go learn more about you and go support you. And if they're having relationship problems, they might want to go uh, contact you as well. So make sure you go follow him on Instagram at Kevin Nahai. And that last name is spelled N-A-H-A-I. Um, you can follow him on YouTube, Kevin Nahai there as well. I'll have that linked up in the show notes. Is there anywhere else that people should go find you and learn more about you? Um, I also have a text service. If people don't want to go on social media, they can just text me. Nice. Uh, so what's that, that number? number? It's 310-923-6060. So that will come straight to my phone. Nice. Nice. I'll have that uh, linked up as well. Well, awesome, dude. Uh, last question here is I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself is both a constant journey and I think it's a unique journey. I think that we're all, uh, all going to have our unique path to get to that person. Um, so for you personally, if there are three things that you could currently do or currently work on to get closer to that best version of Kevin DeHigh that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? I love this question because it puts me on the spot. And <laughs> no, in, in the best way, in yeah. the best way, it, it holds me accountable. So three things that I need to do in my life to get myself to, a, to the best version of me. Yep. Is that okay? Damn. Um, well, the first thing is that uh, I recently got out of a relationship and that was a great relationship. And, you know, we had a healthy breakup and everything like that, but she wasn't my soulmate, right? Cause I didn't end up with her. So there's still some work that I have to do in the love department uh, so that I can find my soulmate. And I have no problem admitting that. As you say, it's a unique journey, but it's also a constant journey. 
So, you know, I'm right there with everybody, you know, wor working on, on my issues and, and uh, becoming the ideal man that my ideal partner would choose. So that's something that I'm working on. Um, I think uh, the second thing that I'm constantly working on is trying to become a better coach and a better speaker. I work with a coach and I'm always reading all these different books and I'm always you know, trying to stay up on my trainings and my certifications and everything like that because I truly believe that there's never a point, even if you've done something for 10,000 hours where you have mastered that craft and I'm, I certainly haven't mastered my craft. So um, I definitely have to continue working on, on my career. Um, and the third area of improvement for me is anxiety. This isn't something that we talked about on this episode, but I meditate daily and I've got a whole bunch of practices to keep my anxiety low. Um, but, you know, I definitely haven't reached the state where I feel clear and calm and peaceful all the time. Um, you know, the state where nothing can sort of disrupt my serenity. So that is definitely something that is, is in the works. And when I envision the best version of myself, I, I envision somebody who has rid himself of anxiety. There you have it. Such an awesome episode with Kevin. I hope you all took some notes over the three A's to overcoming trauma, how to attract people that you actually want to date and how to ensure that you don't sabotage good relationships. Because if you didn't take notes, you need to go back and make sure you do so. Be sure you share this episode with a friend or family member who maybe is struggling with anxiety or maybe has an autoimmune disorder or is in a challenging relationship. All you got to do is send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast and they can get the audio, the YouTube video, and the show notes. Also, if you're interested in having a clear path to hit your fitness goal, then go to nickcarrier.com slash 10-week programs. Again, nickcarrier.com slash 10-week programs. Remember, if you've experienced trauma or a challenging time, to go through the three A's that Kevin talks about. Awareness, acceptance, and action. Also, before you go on your next date, be sure to identify what the qualities are that you do want in a significant other, not just the things that you're trying to avoid. Also, make sure you give Kevin a follow on Instagram at Kevin Nahai to get more awesome content like this. And in order to get closer to the best version of yourself, if you're anything like Kevin, work on becoming the ideal man or woman for your ideal partner. Work on becoming a better coach, speaker, developing yourself in whatever career that you're in, and manage your anxiety. I think all of us can work on that last one because these are the things that are going to get you closer and closer to your best you.